Paul Martin is a global expert and builder of pilot and demonstration scale plants for the chemical process industries. In this episode, we cover Paul's upbringing and his passion for engineering. We go through Paul's opinion on hydrogen, electricity, space, and hopium. And we discuss what we should stop with, scale up, and invent in the ocean. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. I didn't invent this term, but I have been using a term uh, very loudly on LinkedIn, which is my favorite platform because Twitter still kind of scares me and I'm still getting used to it. But I've been using this term, hopium, and, and hashtagging it. And that's exactly what people generate. They generate, what, what they do is they take people's hope, often, you know, hope in, in, in a future that's desirable, and they pervert it in such a way, they, they weaponize it, they turn it into a drug that is used to basically uh, shut off either, you know, the, the investor or the government's uh, rational faculties and disconnect them from the, the thing that controls whether or not they open up their wallet and give them money. And there's so much hopium dealing and pushing and selling going on in the world right now. It's just mad. And some of it is related to the thing that I'm most interested in, which is decarbonization, you know, decarbonizing our, our, our economy, which I think is an existential uh thing that we have to get on doing. And I've been disappointed through my entire career, all 31 years of it, that we've done so little about it so far. I figured we'd have had it licked by now. And we could have, honestly, had we been serious, but we weren't serious. So anyway, there's so much hopium dealing and pushing uh, in relation to decarbonization. And it's just, you know, people selling ideas that are just foolishness, that make no thermodynamic sense, that make no economic sense. And yet, and, and people in the same conference selling the diametric opposite. I'll give you an example. Of what it so you, you get these people that think that they're going to have giant amounts of renewable electricity in excess of what the market will need. And that's likely to be true in the future. And it's, it's actually a good thing. It's something we want to encourage uh because it'll drive down the prices of electricity renewable electricity and, and hence permit the decarbonization to happen when we get smart about how to use those things but these people are worried that they, the local grid for instance won't be able to use their electricity as electricity and they, they think storage is expensive so instead what they want to do is they want to electrolyze water to make hydrogen uh to uh, to move the uh the product to where people need it because that might be easier than getting the grid rebuilt or something. I'm, I'm not sure exactly why, because it would mean that you'd have to build pipelines that don't exist and so on, which is no easier than upgrading the grid, but fine. Well, they then they realize that there are no pipelines and they can't ship it by truck and liquefying it to ship it by sea is kind of insane. So 
what they what they start thinking about is, well, what if I get some CO2 from somewhere? And I run this reaction that's called methanation, where I take CO2 and I react it with hydrogen and I make methane and water, like worthless water, uh, and a lot of heat that's being produced in a place where I have excess energy because I have electricity in excess already. So the heat's wasted too. Uh, so they want to run methanation reactions to make methane because then they can shove that into the natural gas grid and, and people will buy it. Okay. So you see the story, right? We have excess energy and then we're going to make hydrogen, but no, hydrogen's no good. So we're going to make methane. And then over, so that's over here. That's in this place. And over there, there are these guys that have biogas, you know, from anaerobic digestion of animal waste or waste food or whatever. And they have biogas and they want to get it to market, but nobody seems to want it because it's got all this CO2 in it. So they think, hmm, nobody seems to want our methane. How about we make hydrogen out of it? You know, because it'll be renewable hydrogen. There's no fossil CO2 associated with it. We'll make hydrogen and we'll just vent all the CO2 or whatever we'll, we'll do with it. So in one place, you've got people that have methane that's renewable, but can't get it to market. So they want to make hydrogen because hydrogen's sexy for some reason or another. Then you got other people over here that realize that hydrogen might be sexy, but it's kind of worthless if you can't get it to somebody that wants to buy it. And they're doing this and they're both selling investors on these concepts and they're mutually exclusive. Either one is dumb or the other's dumb or they're both dumb, right? So it, yeah, this is what I mean by hopium dealing and pushing and, and whatever. And if it was private money, I'd be 100% behind it, right? But it's public money. It's government money that's being siphoned up. But it's so interesting because I read your article about hopium. I, I really enjoyed it. So just uh, another part I wanted to ask about that subject is that you have like a line. I think it's like Edison. You have like yep. chasing the perfect battery is a fool's journey. And I think and maybe, a catch may penny and, and a, a natural tendency to exploit the you know stupidity of human beings or something like that for profit. And this is the reality of batteries too. I mean, batteries are amazing. I love batteries. Batteries are super efficient. And, and the invention of the lithium ion battery was great. But the thing that really made the lithium ion battery amazing was the fact that everybody had one of these, you know, a cell phone that needed a battery. Uh, and as a consequence of that need, they were willing to pay $3,000 a kilowatt hour for the initial batteries because they, they give your cell phone enough life to make it useful, right? And that carried them to the scale necessary to get their cost per kilowatt hour down low enough that you could imagine doing things like grid storage or, or electric vehicles with them. But the problem with batteries is what do you hear in the media every day, every day, a new invention that's gonna revolutionize batteries and then you never hear about it again. Why? Because it's not a revolutionary thing. It's some lazy journalist didn't bother to ask the question. Okay, so this battery, what's the cycle life? What's the cost per kilowatt hour? What's the fire risk? What's the current density? What's the energy density per unit volume? Nobody's asking the questions because the people that are involved in doing the journalism work aren't journalists. And even the ones that are journalists aren't scientists. So they don't know what questions to ask. 
So but, but, I, basically, I basically, but basically this cocktail is like the fuel for greenwashing, right? And greenwashing is. is like the number one story globally. Yeah. So you have a huge problem from the engineer standpoint or the math guy with this like wave of greenwashing. So how mm-hmm. do you go through the noise and separate good math from bad math, essentially? We, so a bunch of us coalesced around the problem of the overselling of hydrogen. Okay, so hydrogen, see, hydrogen is one of these things that's really interesting because it's at the same time, it's an existentially important decarbonization problem that we must solve if we want to keep eating and not destroy the planet. Okay, so we have to make hydrogen to make ammonia because we need to feed half the people on the earth that we wouldn't feed without the ammonia as a fertilizer. And right now we make all of that ammonia from hydrogen that we make from natural gas or coal with no carbon capture because that's cheap and the atmosphere is a free sewer. So hydrogen is an essential thing for us to fix as a decarbonization problem in the world. And it's a decarbonization problem right now that's basically, it's bigger than the aviation industry. It's bigger than shipping as as a carbon source, just making hydrogen. And yet, at the same time, you've got people pushing hydrogen as a decarbonization solution to all kinds of problems like air transport and trucks and as a home heating fuel and various other things, a way to store electricity. And this idea is being pushed well past its limits, you know, the limits of sense. And so a bunch of us, a bunch of people who didn't have any um, skin in the game money wise, but had the knowledge to know that this pushing was going on, that this wasn't real, that this was mostly, you know, people that were looking at a future in which their business was gone. Like, for instance, selling natural gas. In the future, there won't be anybody selling natural gas because we won't be able to emit the CO2 from burning all of that natural gas, which isn't natural, it's fossil, right? Uh, so those people need to sell something, ergo hydrogen, and they're pushing it. And the same thing with the, you know, there are a lot of earnest people interested in decarbonization that are making wind turbines and electrolyzers, fuel cells, and so on. And they see a business opportunity of selling the idea of using hydrogen as a fuel. And so their, their economic interests are very clear, but the real question is, is this in the interest of decarbonization? And the answer is yes, if it's done right, and no, if it's done wrong. And the done wrong part is really simple. Are you using hydrogen as a fuel? Then you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So anyway, a bunch of us coalesced around this idea that hydrogen was being pushed inappropriately and that public money was being used inappropriately to fund it. And we formed something called the Hydrogen Science Coalition. I'm one of the founding members. And we're all people that were rare birds. We know what we're talking about. And we don't have any money in it. Okay. We're not frothing at the mouth saying hydrogen, 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 because we're making a buck from it. And that, that that's hard to find. But we're just basically standing there saying, Lord, we're we're these people. Here are our credentials. Journalists, please, if you get a story about hydrogen, don't just talk to the shell and the you know the hydrogen council and the guys frothing at the mouth about this stuff talk to us and we'll give you the other side of the story and we'll help you make sense of it 
So that's what you can do about it. Yeah, it's a good thing I'm talking to you now, at least. I'll do my little help here. But uh, I think just in to close the hydrogen chapter, can you just yeah. also use the, the, um, the Swiss army knife analogy? Because maybe people... <laughs> but I think that's so oh, relevant, yeah. right? Because this is so beautiful. Are, yeah. I, I love it when things work out like this. So people have been using this and they've been saying that hydrogen is the Swiss army knife of energy, right? Because it's so versatile. And it turns out that they're absolutely right. Hydrogen is the Swiss army knife of energy. It's too expensive and it's pretty much useless for just about every application you might put it to, except in an emergency. So when you're going camping, it's nice to have a Swiss army knife because it, it sort of works as a knife and it sort of works as a screwdriver and maybe a, maybe a, a, a corkscrew or this or that, right? But it's not the optimal tool for any of those tasks. And if you were at home, you wouldn't reach for your Swiss army knife to do any of those things with it because you've got a better knife and a, a better corkscrew, you know, and a much better screwdriver that doesn't like mangle your hand every time you slip off the screw. So th this is hydrogen as an energy tool, it's like the Swiss army knife. It's expensive, it's bulky. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe you'll resort to it in an emergency, but that's it. It's perfect, it's the perfect analogy. But the greatest thing about that is that it's also easy enough to understand that people who don't dive into the science can run with the idea and go on stages, global stages and tell this is future, right? Because yeah, well, sort see, of yeah, with, yeah, there's a lot of memification of information in this in these this age where people have an attention span of about five seconds because of their phone, right? Okay, you can blame the lithium ion battery for that too. It enabled the, the destruction of human attention. But anyway, whatever. The 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 thing is that um, there's a lot of memification of information, and the hydrogen people have been super good at it so the swiss army knife business and the colors of hydrogen which is another you know pile of total crap uh you know the, these colors of hydrogen there is only one color of hydrogen 98.7 percent of the hydrogen in the world is blacker than black it's black hole black okay it's 30 percent blacker in co2 emissions per joule of energy than the fossils it was made from and it might be 50 percent worse or 70 percent worse depending on what you make it out of. So, and depending on whether you take the methane emissions into account as well. And so there is no green hydrogen in the world. That's, that's an idea. That's something you can do if you can find a way to afford it one day. But the reality is almost all the hydrogen in the world, like to the point of basically all the hydrogen in the world is made from fossils without carbon capture. So this colors business is just obfuscation. And the same thing is true, like I said, with the Swiss army knife analogy. So smart people have to learn how to memify things. And so I memified this whole hydrogen thing. I've got a Drake, you know, and I live in Toronto. So Drake, you know, he doesn't live very far from me. Uh, and um, although he's got a much nicer house than I. But anyway, in the one picture, Drake's going like this, you know, and it says hydrogen as a fuel. Drake goes like this. And then the next one, Drake's going like this and it says you know, green hydrogen to replace black hydrogen. And it's, just, it's that simple. Hydrogen is a fuel, oh, bad idea. But green hydrogen to replace black hydrogen, that's awesome. You know, that's what we need to be focusing on because we need that to live.
Yeah, very. I mean, time is going so fast and I have so many topics, so I will just try to maneuver it all the way here. But let's go to electricity because you have a notion that, or you have an idea that we should electrify everything. So one question is, why hasn't that happened? And another question is, is there a country you think can do that? Like one country, can Canada, Norway or whatever, is there one country like, or even China, which actually can electrify their country? And just to start these questions off, can you quickly explain the concept of understanding if you have like um, one gallon of gasoline, the equivalent in electricity, but maybe that's a great place to start to understand the need of okay. electricity. And, yeah. yeah, so I have a good analogy for this too. So the problem that we have in, in energy, one of the, we have many problems, but one of the problems we have in energy is that if I tell you that I'm going to give you $100, you probably think that's good, right? But I didn't tell you whether I'm going to give you 100 American dollars or 100 Jamaican dollars, okay? And the same is true with energy. So if I'm going to give you 100 joules of energy, you probably think that's good. But I didn't tell you whether I was going to give you 100 joules of electricity or 100 joules of room temperature heat. They're both measured in joules, but they're like Jamaican dollars and, and American dollars. They're not worth the same just because they're measured in dollars. So heat and work are not, or, or thermodynamic work or electricity, which is readily convertible into mechanical energy or thermodynamic work, is worth more than heat. Because... When you convert heat to work, the second law has an exchange rate, and the exchange rate depends on the temperature and other things, but it depends on the temperature. And so as a consequence of that, there's a lot of people who say, look how many joules we're getting from fossil fuels. Replacing that with electricity is impossible. There's too many joules. And then you look at it, it's like, yeah, but two thirds of the joules are wasted. <laughs> Because they're provided as heat, and what we really need is work. And so actually, the problem is about between a half and a third as bad as people think. So converting everything to electricity, yeah, we're going to do it. We, we must do it. It's imperative. And when I say everything, there's always exceptions. Okay, so we're not going to convert jet aircraft to electric. We're not going to. But we don't need to, because there's another alternative, and that's biofuels. So we're going to use biofuels for jet aircraft. And if we can't make enough biofuels, maybe we'll use electricity to make hydrogen to increase biofuels yields. So we can get more biofuels to, to be able to do that. But largely, the solution is to electrify everything. Now, you'd look at Canada. Canada looks to be a good place to do this because, for one thing, most of Canada, not all of it, the, the, the fossil fuel parts of Canada, Alberta and Saskatchewan, are still making a lot of electricity from natural gas and coal. But the rest of the country, the place where most of us live actually, 75, 80% of Canadians, live in places where our grid is already totally decarbonized. Like, I mean, Ontario where I live, our, our uh, CO2 emissions from uh, electricity generation are 40 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour on a year round average. And that's just from a small amount of natural gas that we burn in order to balance our wind power. Okay. But the thing is that we use an awful lot of heat because we're a cold country, like where you live. So we, we use a lot of natural gas in order to stay warm. 
And natural gas, fossil gas, is so cheap that electrifying heating is going to be a very challenging business. It's going to cost a lot per kilogram or ton of CO2 emissions avoided. And I wrote an article about this too. You can, I ran the numbers for my own house, put it all out there. Bore people to death. It's full of numbers. And in fact, there's a warning at the beginning. Warning, if you suffer from arithmetic anxiety, don't read this article. Spare yourself because it's full of math. But the point is that I ran the numbers for myself and the cost per ton of CO2 emissions abated to convert my house to run on something other than natural gas for heating is way, way too high for me to even think about. And I'd be much smarter to buy an electric vehicle instead because an electric vehicle will actually give me a lower total cost of ownership than a gasoline vehicle. And any CO2 emissions benefit that I give to the world, I'm giving to them for free. In fact, it has a negative cost to me. Can you imagine that? Especially today. I mean, I, I don't know what prices are doing in Norway, but in Canada, a liter of gasoline is worth an awful lot of money right now. And um, as a consequence, electric vehicles look wonderful because we don't make our electricity from fossil fuels here. <laughs> so our electricity prices are dead stable and fuel prices are going way up. Right. So I love higher oil prices. They make me happy. Nothing will make decarbonization happen faster than $200 a barrel oil. It'd be awesome. And if it sags to 100 bucks again, backfill that 100 bucks a barrel with carbon taxes and give the money back to people. Don't even, that government doesn't even need to keep it. It just needs to give it back to them, punish them at the pump. Okay. And then do what we do in Canada. We have this clever carbon tax in Canada. It's so smart. We take all the money and we put it in a pile. We take 10% off and we use that for public infrastructure decarbonization. But the 90% that's left, we divide the money by how many people paid and we give it all back to them at the average. So let's say that you're a poor person here living at Jane and Finch in Toronto in a subsidized housing. You know, you live in multi-unit housing that's very efficient. You take public transit everywhere because you can't afford a car. Your emissions are very low. Okay. And you get the average back. So you actually get more money back than you paid in tax. Your life gets better. But let's say that you're let's say you're great, okay, and you live in a whatever thirty thousand square foot house, and you drive in a drive a big car, and you've got a place up in the Muskokas for a cottage and whatever. You pay a lot of money in carbon tax, but you've got all the money in the world to invest in more insulation, better efficiency, an electric car, whatever it takes in order to make your tax burden lower. So it's a perfect system. It's really good. And it's very well supported by the Canadian public. If you like this episode and the content we create, please make sure to check out our newsletter called The Bin Letter. More information is in the show notes. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel. This episode was produced by William Fransen.